Our scripture lesson this morning will be from Luke's Gospel, the story of the transfiguration of Jesus. And we're going to be reading it as a dramatic reading, or at least as a reader's theater style reading. So I'm going to invite anybody who is part of the, the group that has volunteered to tell the story together to please come forward and gather at uh, one of the microphones. Let us listen today for God's word to us. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep. But since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what he said. And while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were terrified as they entered the cloud. And then, from the cloud, came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent, and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. Just then, a man from the crowd shouted, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son. He is my only child. Suddenly a spirit seizes him, and all at once he shrieks. It convulses him until he foams at the mouth. It mauls him. It will scarcely leave him. I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered him, You faithless and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon dashed him to the ground in convulsions. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And all were astounded at the greatness of God. While everyone was amazed at all that he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into human hands. But they did not understand the saying, and its meaning was still concealed from them, so that they could not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. The word of God for the people of God. 
Thanks be to God. So it is that time of year again. It's the Sunday before Lent begins, which in the Christian liturgical calendar is called the Feast of the Transfiguration of Jesus. The Gospel reading for today is always one of the versions of this story, and this story appears in three out of the four Gospels, in Matthew, and in Mark, and in Luke. It's one of the stranger stories of the Gospels, isn't it? It seems somehow more like science fiction than the stories of everyday life in first century Palestine, which make up most of the Gospel narrative. And just because it is so odd, it can be challenging to make the connection between this story and anything to do with our everyday lives, our everyday struggles. And yet, every so often, someone comes along and shows us how this story and real life really can come together. In his book, God Has a Dream, Bishop Desmond Tutu of South Africa tells of a time when this story became very real for him. He writes, Now, of course, there are times when you have to whistle in the dark to keep your morale up, when you want to whisper in God's ear, God, we know you are in charge, but could you make it a little more obvious? <laughs> and God did make it more obvious to me once, during what we call the Feast of the Transfiguration. Tutu continues, apartheid was in full swing. As I and other church leaders were preparing for a meeting with the Prime Minister to discuss one of the many controversies that erupted in those days. We met at a theological college that had closed down because of the government's apartheid policies. During our discussion, I went into the Priory Garden for some quiet, and there was a huge cross, a wooden cross without a body, but with nails protruding and a crown of thorns. It was a stark symbol of the Christian faith. It was winter. The grass was pale and dry, and nobody would have believed that in a few weeks' time it would be lush and green and beautiful again. It would be transfigured. As I sat quietly in the garden, I realized the power of transfiguration, of God's transformation in our world. The principle of transfiguration is at work when something so unlikely as the brown grass that covers our fields in winter becomes bright green again. Or when the tree with gnarled, leafless branches bursts forth with sap flowing so that the birds sit chirping in the leafy branches. Or when dry streams gurgle with still flowing water. When winter gives way to spring and nature seems to experience its own resurrection. He continues, the principle of transfiguration is that nothing, no one, no situation is untransfigurable. That the whole of creation is waiting expectantly for transfiguration. 
when we will be released from bondage and share in the glorious liberty of the children of God. When it will not be just dry, inert, but translucent with divine love. Now, it's counterintuitive, I think, to be sure, but is it possible that this story, which can seem so much like science fiction, is really a story that is trying to tell us something about the very nature of reality? On that mountaintop, what the disciples see is not Jesus changed, but Jesus as he really is, and a deep truth about the world. They see who Jesus really is, not just a traveling prophet and healer, but the power of God at work, flowing through the universe. The disciples have this vision on the mountaintop so that they can see this truth at work when they come down from the mountain and confront the realities of life that meet them there. As Bishop Tutu described his experience, Someone who had never seen spring or summer would have no way of knowing or hoping that within that winter landscape, forces were at work that would transform the dead and dry landscape into a riot of green and color. And just that same way, someone who had never caught a glimpse of the glory and power of God would not be able to perceive that within the brokenness and the realities, the harsh realities, of apartheid at that time, that another deeper, stronger power was at work. And the same is true for us. The reason we want to catch glimpses of God's glory is so that even when that glory is not working apparent, we can know and hope and believe that the power of God is flowing beneath the surface, beneath the realities that we can see, that amidst the brokenness and evils of this world, another deeper, stronger, truer power is at work. And that's why I think that in the narrative lectionary, at least, we're asked to read not just one, but two stories on this day, because what happens when they come down from the mountaintop is just as important as what happened there. What happens when they come down from the mountaintop is a working demonstration the power of transfiguration. It seems that while Jesus and Peter and John were up there on that mountain, some of Jesus' other disciples were trying to help a man and his son. The son was afflicted with what people in that day and age could only understand as an evil spirit. The disciples tried to help, but they weren't successful. The scripture doesn't say why exactly. But I, I wonder if it's perhaps because they were simply trying to copy what they'd seen Jesus do before. As if the right technique were everything that mattered. Perhaps that's why Jesus was so frustrated with them when he appeared on the scene. Perhaps he was frustrated that they still didn't seem to understand that it wasn't about strategy or technique, but about perceiving the power of God at work within that situation and allowing themselves be, to be channels for that reality, that truth, that power. 
The mountaintop story reveals the reality of who Jesus is and about the power of God at work within him, but at work within us as well. The story of the next day demonstrates the kinds of transformations that can happen in real life when the transfiguring power of God is unleashed within us and among us. Now the healing of this boy is a very dramatic example of that, of course, but the work of unleashing the transfiguring power of God's love can happen in quieter ways as well. In the missional life skills class that has been happening on Sunday nights here at our campus this month, our teacher, Jim Milley, has been encouraging us to take on the ministry of pointing towards God's transfiguring love and power at work in the world. In fact, he says, that's really what true mission is about, pointing to where God is at work in the world and becoming part of that work. On the first night of class, Jim brought as a guest one of the leaders that he has been working with recently. This man is a retired pastor, someone who worked tirelessly for years to chair committees and run church programs and recruit people to come to church. And his retirement, however, he's finally had time to venture beyond the church walls and he's become active in the Habitat for Humanity chapter near where he lives in Pasadena. He spends his time building, obviously, that's what Habitat for Humanity does, but he's also spent time building relationships with the families that are putting sweat equity into those houses that they will eventually receive, and also building relationships and friendships with the construction workers and the contractors that are part of the project. He hasn't tried to start new Bible studies. He hasn't tried to organize any worship services, though he does offer to pray for people and with people. Mostly, he says, what I do is when I see something beautiful that's happening in that community, I point to it and I lift it up. And in doing this, he says, he has witnessed a random collection of people thrown together by chance and circumstance become a community where the power and love of God is flowing, is a daily reality. Now what he does might not fit into any of the church's preconceived categories of validated ministry, but what he is doing is teaching people to see the transfiguring power of God at work in their lives and in the world. So maybe we don't have to start right off with casting out demons, but maybe we can start by embracing the ministry of seeing what beautiful things are happening around us and pointing to them and naming them as the power of God at work, transfiguring the world from earth to heaven. As Bishop Tutu concluded his own reflections on the transfiguration, he said this, God places us in the world as God's fellow workers of agents of transfiguration. We work with God so that injustice is transfigured into justice, so that there will be more compassion and caring, so that there will be more laughter and joy, 
and there will be more togetherness in God's world. Amen.